welcome to The Last Thing I Saw. I'm your host, Nicholas Rapold. Right at the tail end of the New York Film Festival, I caught up with John Deeringer, editor and publisher of ScreenSlate. It's taken a little while, but our conversation is now here on the podcast. We talked about a couple of highlights from the festival, and also some terrific titles shown in a ScreenSlate series at the Roxy Cinema. The series helped kick off the movie-going season for a lot of New York movie lovers and included some great titles as Arribato and The First Jackass. John has worked for years as an archivist, so he also shares his expertise and opinion on how movies make their way through repertory and into film history. And he also shares a lovely anecdote about the late great filmmaker Sarah Mulderar. I've written a little for John on ScreenSlate, and so it was a pleasure to welcome him on my podcast. Welcome to The Last Thing I Saw. For this episode, I'm very pleased to be joined, rejoined by editor, publisher, mastermind yeah. of Screen Slate. Welcome. Social media intern. Social media uh, intern. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Yeah. Um, and you've been you've been going to like press screenings and public screenings at the festival a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've been trying to go to as much as possible, but, you know, we were kind of talking before about how, um, you know, it's like, it's almost like self-care or something to like not (laughs) try to go to everything yeah it's been cool like you know i i kind of wrote on screenslate a little bit about how it just it feels you know nice and kind of familiar just to be you know back in this this ritual after you know a totally virtual or not i mean 100 percent virtual year because they they did the drive-ins but you know returning to the the irl festival experience and um and yeah like i i totally love it but also you know it's like an hour to get to lincoln center hour to get back you know uh you have to i don't know have stand around and have awkward conversations with (laughs) people and you know it's like this morning i was thinking about seeing dune and i was like well it's like two and a half hours. It's not going to start on time. I'm going to have to get there a half hour early. There's going to be like mm-hmm. an hour either. I was like, you know, that's like six hours of <laughs> <laughs> just like life that I could, you know, um, and fortunately, you know, no one at uh screen slate is uh, <laughs> forcing me to see Dune. So, <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's a, that's a, that's a good privilege to have. I think that no one's yeah, making yeah. you see Dune. Yeah, maybe if the editor was more like uh, on top of things, uh, <laughs> he would. Yeah, that guy. He would recognize the the benefit of covering major uh, studio films <laughs> that will reap yeah. in SEO and uh, clicks from the tomato meter. But um, <laughs> well, there'll be a ch- there'll be a chance when it, when it makes landfall. <laughs> But what I wanted to make sure we talked about um, is an, is what I hope becomes like another ritual uh, for the fall. I don't know if that's how how it's been planned, but uh, it certainly felt like it felt like that way for a lot of people who went. I think, um, and that's the return to to I don't know real life screening series that ScreenSlate put on. Yeah, at the Roxy Cinema. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That was cool. I mean, it was. Um... Yeah, I mean, we're going to do regular screenings. Like, we have some coming up later this month, I think, that haven't been announced. We're, like, kind of confirming that we can get prints of a few things. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'd always wanted to do something there. And, you know, we'd been talking for a long time, you know, like, pre-pandemic even. And um, I think it's a really cool 
screening room. It feels intimate, um, but you know, it actually has like a pretty decent seating capacity. I think it's like a hundred seats or something, but um, okay. yeah. And it also, it's kind of like a mom and pop kind of feel. Cause like most of the programming uh, I've done uh, was, you know, for many years at spectacle, which I really liked because it's such a, um, you know, you have such an intimate connection with like the space and the people who show up when you program something there. It's not like you're just like putting something on a calendar and then, you know, like, um, yeah, you're, you mm-hmm. just get to like experience it with the people who show up. And Roxy feels like um, kind of kind of like a similar vibe. Yeah, Elise Singer, the programmer, and uh, Mitchell, the projectionist, are um, just really, um, yeah, like... Uh, yeah, it's kind of like a almost like a small family or something that runs it. What was on the program for the series? Yeah, so we just we just did kind of like a um almost like a greatest hits of things we'd programmed in other contexts. So it started with uh or I mean I didn't open with this, but kind of the centerpiece was a 16 millimeter screening of 1991 the year punk broke, uh which is the Dave Markey documentary of a 1991 European tour with Sonic Youth and then a kind of unknown band called Nirvana uh, that, (laughs) you know, had like, like literally Nirvana like blew up while they were on this tour. Um, And um, yeah, we had Lee Ronaldo and Steve Shelley from Sonic Youth come out and um, it was their personal 16 millimeter print, which we had screened um, several years earlier at Spectacle. Um, so yeah, we kind of reprised that and then mm-hmm. a film called Deadlock by Roland Click, which is the first thing that screens they'd ever presented 10 years ago. And I think it was like June, 2011, mm-hmm. um, because we had been doing, we ended up doing this whole like series, uh, back in 2011, 2012 about films that were scored by the, the rock band can mm-hmm. and, um, yeah, I ended up, I mean, it was interesting too, because we ended up kind of like establishing a relationship via the distributor with uh, Roland Click. Uh, the distributor is called Film Gallery 451, which is, um, yeah, they've been, they've done a great job of like uh, spotlighting German kind of genre films or more sort of like marginal stuff that's not just like you know, Fassbender, Kluge, Vim Vendors, but more like, um, you know, Christoph Schliegensief, who's like a huge um, German artist, but also a really phenomenal filmmaker. Yeah, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, let's see, I'll just quickly run through. I don't have to yeah. like, run down everything, but uh, we showed a print of Friday the 13th, uh, like an X-rated UK one. Um, Whoa, where'd you get that? That was from this guy, uh, Harry Guero, who a lot of people know through Exhumed Films, oh, right, yes. uh, which is based kind of out of the Philadelphia area. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, like a prolific collector and presenter of genre films. And um, yeah, we realized just, you know, purely like the way dates lined up, it started on um, Friday the 13th. And we were like, well, you know, no one has... I don't think really screened any horror films since this slow rollout of repertory. That's true. I guess we were all just, we were all in one. So they... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. So it was like, well, I mean, you know, this will be cool just to like give people a chance to see a, a 35 millimeter horror film in the theater, but also Friday the 13th on Friday the 13th, which I was shocked when I was looking through our listings, which, you know, go back for about 10 years 
I don't think anyone had shown Friday the 13th on 35 on Friday the 13th in the last, you know, like decade. Um, Mm. It was in a series at BAM. I think it was their indie 80s series and it showed on 35. But, um, you know, it wasn't like on Friday the 13th. Um, Not not trying to like knock it. uh, (laughs) But yeah, but no, I was just I was shocked. I was like, this seems like such a no brainer. Um, (laughs) And I've been looking for I was trying to find the final. I think it's wait, which one is it? The final chapter. I was trying to find the one that has like Crispin Glover, uh, which I think uh is the best one. I don't know why I'm blanking on it. I think it's part four. And uh, because that's like my favorite and it's one with like Jason and he has the mask and Crispin Mm -hmm. Glover does some goofy dance in the middle of it. Um, But yeah, we couldn't find the print. And then I was like, well, I guess we'll merely have to show this rare X-rated print of the first uh, one, which ended up, I think, being the right call because it was just like amazing um what's different about that one it's it's just like extra gore you know it's like (laughs) i i think the the total runtime is something like you know 88 frames longer you know or something um you know like two seconds i mean 88 frames is more than two seconds it's like i don't know four seconds but crucial frames it is interesting. Yeah, it is. In a way, it is kind of crucial, friends, because like it's it's like every murder is just like a little bit longer. But but mm. those frames are kind of like indelible. Yeah. So it's it's cool. And yeah, the print was like flawless. And afterwards, I heard these people saying. I mean, they were saying this with like some self-awareness. I'm not trying to like drag them or anything. Um, but, you know, some people were like, wow, it kind of did look like a like you had just like a perfect 80s Instagram filter like you know on screen or something and like the the look of like the film and like and and i think also like let's scare jessica to death is like another one that kind of has this look it's like so quintessential it's just like a little almost like vaseline or something Mm. um and um yeah the other thing too that i i forgot is like there's a part I want to say it's like kind of like late in the film where there's like a really, really long take of um, like this. I don't know. It's like this woman in a cabin and someone's trying to get in and kill her. And like, you know, I kind of forgot about that scene because it was like a a very impressive, uh, you know, like cinematic feat like a mm. i want to say maybe like three minute long take or something with with like a, a track a tracking shot or yeah or like um maybe like uh like a steady cam or something mm-hmm. um but it, yeah it was like really intense and um i mean the movie definitely holds up you know everyone kind of knows it as like oh you know like jason isn't even actually in it so mm-hmm. uh you know in a way it's like not it you know it lacks like that kind of iconography but it's still such a quintessential um yeah just kind of like summer camp yeah slasher film yeah it's funny i mean it a long take is i mean for me always more suspenseful than uh, you know you know than i don't know some shock cut from this or, or that and i it's funny that yeah. that's, that's it, it it really is an almost palpable loss the, the ability of doing that with whether it's steady cam or not having a long take because I mean, not generalized, but if you have something that's shot digitally, there's just still always the sense. And especially in a horror movie that it's been, you know, composited together. Um, it's kind of impossible yeah. to capture the same sense of like suspension in a way. I, yeah, totally. I mean, um, 
Yeah, like I saw Don't Breathe 2 recently, which um, has like a really, really long take in it. But it's like, it's exactly as you say, it's like, you know, one of those like digitally structured ones. And it's just, I mean, it's just not the the same. It's, I mean, you know, it, it it's like a tool for, I don't know, storytelling or creating suspense or mm-hmm. um, sense mm-hmm. of time. But yeah, it's just done so well when when people really have to like do it <laughs> yeah it's and yeah. it's almost like the that's that's the whole uh, epistemological presence uh premise of like the paranormal activity films which is that mm-hmm. it's a, it's a long take because it's a surveillance camera right? so it's like, yeah that's how you have to embed a long take is by is by surveillance it's like you can't do it otherwise i don't know anyway yeah. that's sort of a tangent but um so yeah. so that was so you showed the Friday that uh, Friday thirteenth <laughs> yeah. installment on on Friday thirteenth and yeah. then let's see we did uh so we reprised two things from a series we did at Anthology which was called This is Mini DV on thirty five millimeter and so the idea was like looking at you know that moment of like you know I mean you probably remember this moment or like you know I was at the like perfect age to be like all in this you know dialogue but you know it was like is digital the future of cinema like will (laughs) films be like shot digitally and the kind of like i don't know vanguard of that were these mini dv features like you know obviously the most famous thing that people remember is like dogma 95 um which i don't even think actually specified they had to be on mini dv but they just all were um, right on shot on dv um but um, in a way, you know, kind of ironically, as much as they point toward a digital future, they were also all, you know, finished and exhibited on 35 millimeter. And so, you know, in a way, like seeing these prints is like, in, in a, it, it almost like like elevates the 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 35 millimeter exhibition experience. I think because um, mm. a lot of these too, like they're not even on like blu-ray which i think is a little strange because you would think they would just do like a 35 to blu-ray transfer but then i don't know yeah you know so we showed originally like um inland empire and um dancer in the dark um trying to think uh we showed um the celebration by thomas vinterberg which is like you know totally holds up um, oh yeah well that's, that's what that's, it's called right the celebration the yeah uh, i think yeah, so yeah, yeah. It, yeah. It, it sounds it sounds more innocuous in whatever it is danish it's just festin festin <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> always sounds cute uh, like that. no i yeah. remember i remember going to see that in a i think now defunct theater on the upper west side and it was uh yeah i think one person in our party had to leave because they, they couldn't take I couldn't take oh that. yeah i mean it's so intense and and dark and yeah. um funny um but i think it's almost yeah just kind of like a perfect film um yeah yeah so the stuff we we brought back were uh 24 hour party people which um is the like factory record story it's like michael winterbottom and steve coogan who you know now like are cranking out all the trip uh films right. and um i i also think it's interesting because it's uh robbie mueller's final feature film uh oh, that wow. he shot uh i think like coffee and cigarettes came out after it but i assume he shot a lot of that like much earlier um mm-hmm. 
But, uh, you know, Robbie Mueller is like the great, you know, cinematographer who did, um, you know, like Paris, Texas and I don't know, Repo Man and um, I don't know, all kinds of yeah. films. Uh, and it has such an incredible look, like the um, digital to film look and the way they kind of like play with, um, I think in some cases it's like digitally created fake film effects, but the way they like, you know, are just kind of like morphed through like the standard definition video with like mm. the film transfer they have like a really uncanny look you know it's not like when you see now like fake film grain on something it just looks kind of like weird and embarrassing um, right yeah i would like to see that movie again like outside of the i don't know early 2000s moment when you, you had this supposed like new york music uh scene half of which was kind of i don't know uh, variations on on post, <laughs> post punk from, from the early yeah. 80s. Um, outside of that, um, kind of interesting, and also like yeah, Steve Coogan. Yeah, where has he gone? I guess he's just yeah taking trips. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I haven't even seen any of the trip movies. I've heard they're good. I don't know. I mean, I've, I've seen a couple. I mean, they're I I think they're like consummate like vacuuming the house movies. You know, <laughs> yeah, totally house cleaning movies. It's just yeah, yeah. Cleaning. It's 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 like yeah. being someone who's if being with someone who's like wisecracking all the time. Like you kind of need to have something else that you're thinking about. Um, <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, and then the the kind of blockbuster of the series, uh, <laughs> which ended up being written about in Vogue, uh, was Jackass <laughs> the movie. Um, Very nice. Which you know, it's like I don't even know what one can can say about it um, at this point. Although we did, we published, like, when we showed it at Anthology, I was like, oh, we need to do a whole zine about, like, mini DV. And, you know, like, my day job, you know, for the past eight years until recently was doing uh, media preservation. And, you know, I had all these, like, ideas about all these different approaches to, like, mini DV. And when I put it out to, you know, all the other screen slate writers to collaborate, you know, like, all anyone wanted to write about was jackass so we ended up just doing a jackass um zine and then i was like crushed because no one bought it um and i know it was insane and then i just started giving them away like i don't know like just wherever just like even leaving them like random places and um and then all of a sudden it became like this uh i mean i feel like i am like mythologizing screen slate a little bit which you know whatever Um, as well you should (laughs) yeah but like it just became this thing where like all these um professors would like email me like is there any way we can get the jackass scene for my class like you know i'm gonna i'm gonna teach jackass but there are no critical texts on it you know and like it was out and I don't know what there's there must have been some reason maybe it was just ignorance or just being a I don't know whatever but like I never reprinted it and so I did reprint it for like these screenings and it's been um finally I feel like it's it's selling it's sort of like the the velvet underground of movie zines <laughs> now people are, are finally appreciating the the jackass zine but yeah it was cool like and the energy for those screenings, just it definitely did have that kind of like movies are back kind of thing. Like, yeah, people yeah. were so stoked. You know, there was like a huge line, you know, you could just feel the electricity. And then like when the lights went down and the movie was about to start, it kind of like the projector came on and then went off for a second. Like there was some kind of like 
you know, glitch or something. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there's like this uncomfortable, maybe like 30 seconds that felt like an eternity of silence. And like someone was walking back from, I don't know, the bathroom or something and like tripped on the stairs. And then like everyone just like <laughs> burst out laughing. It was like good natured laughter, but it was just like, you know, it was like a very like jackass kind right. of like Pratt fall or something. It's, uh, it's, like the, it's like the overture. It's like a musical overture. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then just like the opening of, of that movie is so epic, like with the, the music. And I, the opening, I, I think, was shot on like 35, but it's like they're all in the giant shopping cart and like, you know, all these like cannons are firing at them and it's all done in like this beautiful kind of slow motion. And uh, yeah. Oh, and the other thing too is um, the the print came from my friend John Claxman, who's the archivist at Anthology. Mm-hmm. And so I was able to tell everyone that the print had been stored at uh, Jonas Mikas's, uh Temple to Avant-Garde uh, Underground <laughs> Cinema Anthology Film Archives uh, along the works of you know uh ken jacobs and you know all the all the great uh stan brackage or yeah um no that's that's what 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 did you make of it when you when you watched it this time uh i don't know i don't know i mean i I I've seen it enough that I'm just <laughs> I don't even think I can come up with like a new it's just part of take you, on it yeah uh, I I think I mean what was nice to me like because someone ended up writing about it for for Vogue was like I I think the the you know there are all these like um, you know there's so much talk about like you know toxic masculinity now and so much I think the the way it uses like gender and a sort of like unspoken theme of extreme fraternal bonding to the point mm-hmm. of like obvious homoerotic undertones um i think it has like aged very well you know it's like it's it doesn't you know so many things feel like sort of like cringy artifacts of the time like i i'm surprised when i watch movies from like the you know late 90s early 2000s like some of them are kind of rough or even like um you we've shown some like jim carrey movies and uh or like even like adam sandler or like you know i was watching like dirty work because you know r.i.p norm mcdonald which is you know one of my favorite movies like i mean it's like one of my favorite comedies but like you know i think it's fair to say that they're um homophobic and um you know not uh very respectful of their woman characters and jackass for being just like (laughs) literally all men um you know kind of hanging out and you know pranking each other it feels something about it feels like very tender and very um it doesn't feel like people may expect it to feel upon revisiting i think i know what you mean it's like it's not like macho posturing because there's so much like like just self like lampooning to it you know just yeah like, yeah it's like self-effacing yeah 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 so it's it's not like like that i mean even though it is kind of honestly kind of physically there's a certain physical courage involved no matter how stupid the things they are there's still a certain physical courage to it to endure some of those things totally yeah 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 but it, it, yeah but it doesn't really feel yeah like it's 
I don't know, the man show or something. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to, to, to mention another, even, like, yeah. Yeah. Even, even like vice, like early right, vice, right. you know, I hated that shit at the time. I hate it now. Like I'm <laughs> yeah. like that whole mentality and posture, you know, like ostensibly, I think it's kind of similar to jackass where it was like, obviously very male, you know, very like, you know, skateboarder, like edgy. Um, but it, it was like, it was very like mean and dark and cynical. And, you right. know, and obviously part of that has been borne out by one of them starting the Proud Boys. But um, <laughs> the, see, the seeds were <laughs> there. Like, yeah, yeah. And like people who worked at Vice have even like told me like, yeah, Gavin was actually kind of like the nicest guy, you know, but um, but yeah, all of which is to say like, you know, like Jackass, you know, it's like it's a much more, um, I don't know, uh, positive, uh, fun, yeah, uncynical yeah. Uh, exercise and I don't know, pure joy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, de- definitely. Um, uh, and and yeah. I. It's I I don't know I also admired it as like uh as like a um season an opening to the season or reopen to the season just in the sense of how physical it is and how bodily it is like I feel you know yeah. something, something about the past year just being so aware of like our of everyone at the same time being aware of bodily mortality and also lack of touch that having a movie where people are just slamming into things and roughhousing with, I don't know. Yeah. Cathartic choice. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I also think it it unites many factions of um, film goers. Like, you know, I mean, again, to kind of return to like the avant-garde thing, like Mm -hmm. um, all the artists, you know, I've worked with um, and like archivists and kind of people more in the like experimental film world, like they all, you know, recognize and, and love jackass like i was actually at um an opening for an exhibit of shigeko kubota who's she was like a um, very pioneering video artist um uh you know worked with her husband named june pike a lot um kind of like similar kind of vibe and you know we're at moma and i was talking to andy lampert um who's like an artist and archivist and he was like you know and like he like pointed down at the ground of you know moma he was like, you know, Jackass 3, like, premiered here. And we were like, whoa. You know, it's like everyone at the, like, standing around at the, like, art opening, like, you know, revering the hallowed ground that, you know, Jackass 3 uh, premiered on. Um, <laughs> you know, it was just, like, I think another testament to, like, how beloved uh, yeah. and sort of widely uh, appealing it is. Yeah. 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 Also, yeah, something that I think a kid, a kid, could appreciate too which i i always like just like yeah just, just yeah crossing all the barriers um yeah. so wait so that was did we yeah so the the only i think the only thing in the series we haven't talked about which which also like uh transitions into um you know current goings on mm-hmm. about town is uh Arabato by ah, right Zulueta. yeah and it was funny because we um i i had shown that in a series called uh the medium is the massacre which was all horror films that were sort of like premised on um, where like the site of horror was, was like premised on or within um, various media. So like film, um, <clears throat> analog videotape, uh, you know, uh, networked communication. So like it was stuff like um, 
you know, Demons and Demons 2, which are, you know, set in a movie theater and like on a television network, uh, or obviously Videodrome is kind of like the quintessential um, mm-hmm. film. Uh, what else? You know, like Poltergeist with like the television. Um, but yeah, Arabato, I had, I had first heard about it um, when it showed at Spectacle in, I want to say like, probably also like 2011. And I had heard it described as like the Spanish Videodrome, um, mm. which I think is like a, a description a lot of people have used, which is, I think, a- actually like pretty inaccurate in, in the sense of like, you know, Videodrome is very much like premised on like electronic media theory, uh, whereas Arabato is very much about like analog film. Mm-hmm. And it does, I mean, there are like things with television and stuff in it, but um, not in, it's, it's feels like a little bit kind of secondary, but I do think it's accurate in, in, in like capturing just how like, I guess you could say like psychotronic or sort of like mm-hmm. cult like the film is, um, but you know, like, and, it, and it's, you know, since I first saw it, it's become like one of my, one of my, you know, probably top. I don't know, 20 like favorite films. And um, do, uh, yeah, do, you just, like a, do you want to just sketch out what, 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 it, what it's about? Yeah. So basically it's about this sort of like preppy horror filmmaker who receives this package with um, like a reel of film and an audio tape. And uh, you know, he and his girlfriend put the tape on and start watching the films. And it's sort of this like epistolary narrative that that's like largely told in flashback but basically this filmmaker had met uh, a young you know awkward uh experimental filmmaker who is getting like really into the idea of using film to like achieve like a state of rapture which is what you know Arabato is like spanish for like rapture and um mm-hmm. over these you know two encounters you know they like do drugs and they you know it's very strongly implied they have sex with each other and they you know just get like really consumed by like their love of film and it's framed in this way that that kind of makes it like i think it very clearly is like alluding to like a vampire kind of tale i mean even the sort of epistolary structure is sort of like dracula but it's like Mm. you know it's kind of like it's kind of just like about addiction to to cinephilia um Mm. and equates that with like you know drug use and and sex but it's like this very complex network of associations like it's not like if you think of something like larry fessenden's habit or Mm -hmm. abel ferrara's the addiction where it's like you know the vampires are junkies, you know? Right. It's more, it's like a more, I don't know, like symbiotic or like complex kind of metaphor. It's like the way, you know, I think when, you, when you're like really, really obsessed with film and you're just constantly not just watching films, but also like this sort of associated ephemera, like collecting posters or lobby cards or, you know, even just kind of like talking with people. Um mm-hmm. You know, it's like you're chasing that, like, I don't know, high or something from from cinema. And it's a film that, like, really digs into that in a way that's, like, it's very funny and very dark and very obsessive. It's difficult to give kind of, like, a linear plot summary in part because of the way the movie's structured. 
but at the same time, I, it's not like so esoteric or challenging that you need, you know, it's not like, I'm not like, this is like primer where you have to, you know, watch a YouTube explainer video. Or, you know, right. This isn't a, a Christopher Nolan puzzle box film. It's more of like a intuitive kind of film. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It feels like it just kind of gets the, the carnal appetite of being engaged with cinema in some way. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's 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 an interesting like scene movie in terms of the way Ooh. it came out of this. It was really, really kind of at the vanguard of of this scene that was developing uh, in Madrid at the time, Movida Madrilena, and um, you know, the, basically it was like if you think of like Pedro Almodovar, who um, was a very, very good friend of Ivan Zueta, um like his films, there's like a band called uh, Alaska, which is kind of like the uh, Susie and the Banshees of Spain. Um, mm-hmm. And then Alaska was also like hosted this kind of like, like new agey spooky um, Spanish television series. Oh, cool. And like, um, you know, so that was it's basically like the 80s kind of like punk new wave scene uh, in Madrid. And also like kids, you know, I was talking to like um Oh, a Spanish film programmer after we screened it who you know she was talking about how like the the like significance of like middle class drug use in Spain to this whole scene you know like for better or worse um but basically like a lot of like really preppy kind of like middle class kids who were like just doing tons of like heroin and cocaine and you know that's definitely borne out uh in this film um mm. But but yeah, it really is like like um, Erebato came out in 1979, and then I think Pepe Lucy Bohm, which is the first uh, mm-hmm. Almodovar feature, you know, came out the following year. Although Zulueta didn't direct any other feature films, he did like a lot of the poster art for Almodovar's films. So like, um, what's the one? There's like this really really cool one with the tie. It's um. I think the title in English is like Bad Habits. Uh is that right? It's like it's it's like his nun movie. Yeah. Uh, he did the one for like Labyrinth of Passion. Right. Yeah. Dark Habits. Dark Habits. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, the, the, it yeah. Has, like has that um yeah, sort of trying to find the words like um balloon animal neon eighties crossed with like completely like drugged out just kind of like eyes, <laughs> yeah. eyes wide open like you know scraping the walls kind of feel somehow merge yeah, yeah. In, in those in those posters yeah i mean it's crazy yeah. i love i love peppy uh peppy lucy bum um it's I, I i it's weird to me how it tends to just like drop out when people are talking about old dovar like it's some like yeah misshapen early thing you, you know you don't want to look at yet but, but that's I, what's like cool about it yeah that's what's more <laughs> yeah. that's what's more punk about it and that's what's you know part of and 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 just the violence in it it also has some kind of more unprocessed unfiltered feel of the violence of like franco era is, is in that movie too yeah yeah and also i mean there had been you know a degree of censorship where like you couldn't show the stuff that is very much on display in Arabata mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, male and female nudity, uh, very graphic drug use. Um, the, the like homosexuality of it is undeniable, but that's one aspect that feels a little bit like 
danced around in terms of like it's pretty clear that like these characters are uh having sex with each other but it's not really like directly stated like basically Mm -hmm. like like it's kind of like cut to them like shirtless and sweaty and like passing some kind of like gack back and forth between you know like like putty it's like okay um but uh, oh and then like they do a really funny thing with like the character's voice the kind of like creepy young guy who's into experimental film uh, like his voice will get really deep like he has like a really like high-pitched kind of nasally voice and then Mm. like you know, there are moments where, you know, it's implied that they, you know, like boned and like all of a sudden his voice will just be like very deep. And um, <laughs> the the vocal fluctuations for not just him, but other characters kind of like help signify like certain things that aren't mm-hmm. directly shown. Um, it's a really, I mean, it's like a really complex movie. I feel like you, like one could sit down and sort of like pick apart aspects of it you know i don't know almost like endlessly but it also feels like one of those films where like someone had been teeming with like this passion and these ideas Mm -hmm. and just like put it all into one film you know i feel like there should be some kind of like german word of like (laughs) you know that describes like or maybe there is like just kind of like you know not quite like magnum opus but like like a work that seems to comprise the artist's like total philosophy right um of just right. everything that they just put their entire being and passion and knowledge and um yeah yeah like it's, it's like into yeah yeah that like the whole thing of the the first sometimes like the, the first novel is like that as well it's just like everything yeah. goes into that and then yeah often you have a less interesting sophomore novel yeah Um, yeah or you know in this case it was just like the only work i mean he did some like stuff for tv like later but there's a really interesting documentary about him that i saw many years ago you know he he basically just like moved back in with his mother and i think tried you know kind of unsuccessfully to um stop using heroin but like he you know he's like a prolific cartoonist you know so there's a lot of him just like hanging out drawing cartoons you know talking about film showing his like collection of film stills i mean he's very much like the character in the in his movie um but yeah so it's one it's it's like you know kind of tragic and also i didn't see this connection made a ton, but maybe it's because I don't think Arabato has been super well known in the United States, and I didn't read a lot of like Spanish language criticism about it. But I feel like Pain and Glory is very much, uh-huh. um, you know, to the extent that Pain and Glory seems to have like a very autobiographical bent to it. You know, it's like shot in Almodovar's own apartment about a filmmaker his age looking back on his very similar career i feel like zulueta and like that that scene is like you know very much like a specter you know that like permeates that film well yeah yeah i mean yeah going back again to the the feeling of like the body and and um and i guess that catholicism is also underneath all of this too Mm -hmm. yeah yeah no that is interesting pain and glory is like a movie I don't know. Sometimes I feel with a Moldovar movies is that he'll make this really, these really great movies. And then for some reason, people are like not talking about them two years later or something. <laughs> I don't Yeah. Yeah. Um, I thought that was like a masterpiece. Yeah. Did you see parallel mothers? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. I, I had the same experience. A lot of people, which is just 
just the kind of pure cinema reaction, which is he just is so satisfying on an elemental level of, oh, <laughs> this is this is how you compose an image. This is, you know, this is how you can use a close up, you know, and, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, that kind of maybe takes us a bit into re- recent goings on and, and viewing um, out of uh, the New York Film yeah, Festival. Yeah, totally. Um, and I mean, actually, cause w- I'm curious what sort of connections you might draw or comparisons uh, with just speaking of Arabato and how it pushes boundaries of comfort <laughs> um, and compared <laughs> yeah. to something with like Tatan, um, yeah. which has been kind of um, interesting to watch from, from the sidelines. Cause my experience of it was, I guess in the summer and, you know, it was still hot off its palm door win. Um, since then, uh, it, it, there have been kind of divergent paths it's taken. I think, a lot. <laughs> yeah, totally. You know, yeah. A lot of people have been really into it, but a lot of people have seen maybe a little too eager to like uh, let the air out of its tires. Uh, I, <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there. Yeah, uh, <laughs> more, more where that came from. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was trying to think of my own uh, pun to follow up, but I, I couldn't. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I like, I, I liked it. Um, yeah. I, it's funny. Cause I mentioned to someone who works at neon, I was like, Oh yeah. You know, it's like, kind of controversial now and she was like what are you talking about like it like i haven't people keep saying that but i haven't heard anyone like you know say anything bad about it and i was like "Mm." you know it's but then i was kind of like thinking like where where does where has that backlash manifest because like it has ostensibly like universal acclaim like let me let me pop over to my favorite uh, film criticism website. <laughs> <laughs> just just flip, flip on the old meter there. <laughs> yeah. See. 80, uh, 86. I don't know. Yeah. That's actually that's adjusted high. for tomato meter. That's like a 24% or something. Yeah, I feel like it's, you know, it's like if right. a movie has less than 92%, it's like, you know. Right. Um. But no, yeah. I feel like fifty-seven percent is actually like the good, the really good stuff. It's the um, good stuff. <laughs> yeah, so Teton is unfortunately neither high nor low enough. Right. Yeah, eighty-six is uh, actually a pretty scary uh, number. <laughs> but yeah. um, you know, some people seem to have read it as being very, I don't know, almost like shock jockey, you know, mm-hmm. or like deliberately kind of like in your face and and provocative and and at the same time i mean maybe somewhat i ironically or or i I feel in a way almost like contradictory like some people have said it's like too sentimental you know some like i i think i i don't know if those are totally compatible in my view because like I, i i don't see it as like hollow provocation there is something like very sincere and, and earnest about it. And, you know, if people want to say, Oh, it's too, it's too ultimately too like sweet or, you know, it just sort of like softens or something like I could, you know, um, well, I would not like a totally agree with that personally. Like I, I, I think that's like a valid, at least read that the film could bear out, you know, if you're like, it's too it's too touchy feely by the end. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, it's I mean it's yeah. it's, it's one of those arrivals of of, of sentiment that uh, 
is maybe jarring for people because, you know, you have a central character who's a sociopath just sort of openly. That's, yeah. that's the premise. There's no way about it. I mean, it's the funny thing about this movie is that a different storyteller could have made it a serial killer movie, but it's not. Right. She's just the main character happens to be a serial killer, but there's another story that's happening to her, which, <laughs> yeah. which is kind of one thing I liked about it is that you literally, there's almost like a car crash in the narrative going on. It's like blindsided. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what my, my friend Maxwell Paparello, who, who writes for screen slate and, and wrote a review of it. I don't think he mentioned this in his review, but we were just talking. He was like, I, I really respect a film just kind of like coming on with this very strong conceit and then just like dropping it. Right. <laughs> and you know i had literally no idea what it was about i mean i just knew like something like car crash and then right before i saw it someone told me she gets like pregnant by a car <laughs> i was like I, don't know, I guess that's how i reacted um and um yeah so that's kind of the only vague in- information I, I i went into it with and you know like i i really enjoyed raw and um i love draw too you know, it's like, I think this is kind of like a messier movie, but I don't mean that in a in a bad way. It's just, I, I, I'm like, okay with it not having like a, it it doesn't have like a, a typical three-act structure. It doesn't have like a strong narrative drive. You know, it's not like, I was trying to think like where, like what is holding my interest in this? Like, what am I, you know, I feel like, like a lot of times when I watch, a narrative film it's like how i'm like how is this narrative going to resolve itself right but this isn't a movie where it's like she wants this thing and we're gonna go with her on this journey through this 3x structure to see whether she gets it or not um it was more just like this shit is so weird i just want to see like where it's gonna go i guess the sort of like there's almost this like ticking clock kind of thing, which is that she's pregnant with a car baby. And you're, I mean, I guess one thing that held my interest was wondering, you know, what's going to happen with that whole thing. Um, But yeah, but it's not like a traditional screenplay kind of beat by beat. Um, I was disappointed that this is maybe like a, a, could be could loosely be considered a spoiler i was really hoping we would not only see the car baby but then like see its eyes open and like shoot out beams of light or something at the end <laughs> you know i was hoping you would just see this like like with like you know like the mouth and the eyes are just like beaming right. uh so i was kind of disappointed that didn't That's, happen yeah that is is maybe a, a missed opportunity and it opens its mouth and it's just a car horn or something <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Or like, um, I mean, like Demon Seed. Uh, oh, that was something oh. we had in the Medium is the Massacre series. Mm. Uh, but, the, the Demon Seed, like, computer spawn is incredible still. Yeah. And they go there. They're just yeah. like, you know, you want to see the Demon Seed, like, <laughs> yep. computer baby? Like, <laughs> here, here you go. You know, and so the fact that Julia Ducorn lacks the uh, conviction of showing us the... <laughs> I don't know, car baby and all its chromatic. Um, I guess we, you do kind of see it, right? But Well, it's it's almost set up like, I'm not saying this is what they wanted, but it's almost set up like a sequel. Like they're not going to show you the full manifestation <laughs> yeah. of the baby, right? They're just going to show you basically what would be the poster, uh, do you yeah. know, holding the baby and, and, and this like, what you see like the steel spine. It's kind of all 
suggestion in a way. Um, and yeah. I don't know. It's almost like this one won the Palm d'Or, and I was like, oh shit, wait, this is something we're supposed to respect. And <laughs> yeah, is this you know what was that was the plan maybe to make it have have a sequel or something? Yeah. Also, in some reason, for some reason, the movie is twinned in my mind a little bit with another um, can movie, Lamb. Did you hear about Lamb at all? No, although okay, um, Lamb. I'm I'm very interested to see because I recently realized, and I think this is I think H24 is marketing this film incorrectly. <laughs> it's about a lamb boy. Lamb girl. Lamb girl. Yeah. Whoa. I'm pretty sure it's like, a lamb girl. Even like knowing that and watching the trailer, I was like, it looks like it's just a movie about a fucking lamb. Like, oh. <laughs> which is not interesting to me. <laughs> like, I don't want to. Oh, I haven't seen the trailer. It just looks like there's a lamb. <laughs> yeah, it, like, it, it just around. looks like there's like a lamb. And I'm like, <laughs> wow, that sounds cool. Um, <laughs> you know, like it's going to be like Balthazar. Yeah. No. And then, but then there's like a shot or two in it where it's like a bipedal, uh, small being with a lamb head and like a little coat. And I was like, that's interesting. Yeah, like, I would see. I would see a movie about a little lamb, little lamb kid. Yeah, a little kid, a kid, kid. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, that is that is the movie, and and that that movie also has you know this kind of suspense, but you don't know what the suspense is about. I mean, I guess in Titan, yeah, they're like I don't know three or four narrative threads. You don't know how they're going to be resolved. Like, yeah. will she get caught? Will she be found out? will how will she you know feel and manifest her sense of gender how will others respond to that and yeah, yeah what's the car baby going to be like and these are all, yeah. these are all the things in lamb i mean my experience of lamb was that it's it's not helped by me summarizing anything now so i'll just say that i think a lot of that movie is uh is yeah she happens to be a little lamb girl but it's it's also kind of just like this family drama in a weird way huh yeah i'm definitely curious to see it i think there's yeah, yeah I'll, I'll definitely um, try to did, check that out did did you see benedetta you saw benedetta yeah i loved benedetta yeah. um i thought it was great i loved it so much that i went out and got um well well first of all i got uh paul verhoven interviews edited by margaret barton fumo yes uh, <laughs> That's right. uh which i you know should have already been on my shelf but uh also the the paul verhoven jesus book oh you got it um <laughs> Yeah. You're going to figure it out with him? This <laughs> is <The> scriptural <laughs> yeah. detective work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Benedetta, I thought was great. And I think what's, you know, interesting about it is it's, it's, it's very, I think it's very similar to his other films or, or even, even in a way kind of like unites disparate mm. films, like mm. between, you know, whether it's like Total Recall and Showgirls, you know, which may seem like a little bit, you know, I think probably maybe at the time like Showgirls came out, it seemed like, oh, okay, that's a movie about the guy who did Basic Instinct, but seems a little different than the guy who did Starship Troopers or right. Total Recall or Robocop. And But I think Benedetta perhaps like unexpectedly unites a lot of these threads because there's this whole like Total Recall-like sense of like not totally knowing like what's real and what's not um mm. in terms of like so i mean i guess for pe for people who haven't seen it it's like benedetta is um uh nun in this abbey and uh she sort of 
convinces her parents to like uh rescue this um young woman to to bring her into the abbey which you know the way paul verhoeven portrays it is it's very like transactional you know it's not it's not like some you know benevolent uh spiritual calling as much as it's like a religious business and and also what's very interesting about the film is that it is very i think concerned with like the just very practical kind of like politics of different religious institutions whether it's the abbey or its position within the the church at large but benedetta you know uh you know claims to experience stigmata and this upsets like the power dynamics and the abbey and sort of like you know goes from there but um and she becomes like the new abbess but um you know i think there are all these interesting questions of like does you know, well, well, I think on one hand, it's like, A, is she experiencing stigmata? I mean, I think the answer is kind of obviously no, but, you know, there's like a little room for interpretation there. But then it's also like, does she believe it? And there's all these questions of like, who's really a believer and who's not? Like, to what mm-hmm. extent things are like purely just like sort of like political power plays mm-hmm. to, you know, to to like what extent are people truly spiritual to what extent are, are their motives just kind of like practical um i i don't know and so in that way you know it kind of reminds me of like total recall where you're like is he on mars <laughs> you know or right. like yeah um but then also the way that you know there's no like i think it's fair to say there are no like purely good characters and like it's generally you're sympathizing with benedetta but she's also like you know kind of awful um and yeah but also yeah. she's she's like she's like a woman who ultimately is in conflict with these like very like male like ultimately the church is like a very male dominated um structure you know once she's sort of no longer dealing just within the abbey but with you know the um the like larger church um right and um you know, I think he's, it's kind of like a problematic feminist Paul Verhoeven movie. Uh, but I think ultimately it's like her, her ability to succeed, you know, as a woman in these very um, like gendered institutions, um, you know, places her as like a, a heroine in the mold of like, you know, Sharon Stone and Basic Instinct or in Showgirls and stuff. And obviously there's just like tons of, sex in it as well which is um you know verhoeven-esque right um, yeah that, that i mean just this verhoeven it's like it's partly just oh he's dutch and unselfconscious about the human body but it's also he has the the showman's heart as well so it's, <laughs> yeah it's yeah like, totally it's like wait which is it now um but i really like what you're saying about the po- political dynamics being so important in the film in a way that's like the um, that kind of gets lost in in the talk about how scandalous or not the the movie is, which I don't is kind of whatever. I mean, but but I agree. Like it, it honestly reminded me of when you look at politicians now, and it's like, do you yeah. really believe what you're saying? Uh, do you you know? And how much is your you know body of beliefs you know actually 
dovetailing with your policy decisions or like or how you comport yourself and, yeah and all of that and and that's that was kind of interesting yeah is, yeah. is, is she or isn't she is she a true believer is she even more yeah. a true believer because she knows she's lying yet she's believing it in some <laughs> right, right. Way, right and like he he leaves room for that kind of like messiness too mm-hmm. it's not like yeah. you know it's not a simplistic like this person claims to be a believer but in fact you know they are not and they're a hypocrite it's you know he it's mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, it's, yeah. it's just messy I mean, he, and complex, he, and yeah. yeah, and he does, and he does the kind. I mean, not to give too much away, but he does continue to like have like. There's always like another floor below the floor, and in, in you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, when I mean, there's this. I found like the the final stretch of the movie really great, where I I don't know how to describe it all without like, but. I'll just tell you, I'll cut this, but you, when, you know, when, when she's out there and she's on the funeral, she's on the pyre, you know, and she's going to be burned mm-hmm. up, that whole thing just kind of, you think at that point, like, you know what you think of her and what you want to happen. And then that happens. And then, I don't know, it just threw me for another loop again. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, which is pretty yeah. impressive to have that happen at that point when he's already like pulled out, you know, one type of intrigue after another and it's... It, um, which also, I guess, is kind yeah. of total recall, like. <laughs> oh, totally, yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, even just on like a, a much more basic level, just like the the way the um, you know, sort of like dream sequences uh, mm-hmm. allow him to indulge in just like old school RoboCop esque gore yeah. um, <laughs> is really delightful. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was definitely yeah. It was definitely a different movie than i expected and then in retrospect i'm like yeah why did i expect a different movie you know like yeah. it, it wasn't as um i expected it to maybe somehow be more like restrained or something yeah um yeah, yeah it's almost a movie it's almost a movie where i don't know the, the marketing hasn't caught up with what all the things the movie is actually doing somehow or i don't know yeah so let's talk about a revival because you you've mentioned Oh, yeah, yeah. And actually, speaking of, I, I think I forgot to mention earlier that when we were talking about Arabato, that that's doing like a national tour now. When we had screened it, I had no idea. I knew it was kind of being restored, but I didn't realize how imminent the restoration was. But um, Altered Innocence, which is a company that does a lot of like LGBTQ kind of stuff, like they did the Fred Halstead restorations. Yeah, they uh, are releasing this restoration of it. So there's a new 35 print and then also a DCP that's been just showed an anthology. And then it's going to open in, I think, this week in L.A., uh, or at least as of the recording this week. And then mm-hmm. um, kind of touring around the country so people can definitely look forward to it coming to a theater near them. Um, but yeah, I mean, with restorations... Um, the one that I think is really exciting uh, is Sambizanga, which, you know, bizarrely became somewhat of like a repertory staple in New York City, despite the fact that there was literally just like one horribly tattered 16 millimeter mm. print from uh, the New York Public Library, which I, I think like New Yorker films had maybe put it out ages ago and then nypl but um wait sidebar for a second i want to ask you as the archivist what's the deal with the new yorker films catalog oh i don't know totally i mean i know in terms of like the actual prints like they i think they were kind of throwing them out and a bunch of people just grabbed them Mm -hmm. and i actually have some of them and i'm actually now maybe like oh i should probably get rid of these because i just i'm not like 
it's not like I'm threading them up and watching them. And <laughs> it's like, you know, I have like death by hanging and diary of a Shinjuku thief and stuff oh, where cool. I'm like, you know, realistically, if I wanted to screen these, I would probably try to get a 35 print or a DCP. And I'm not like watching them on my 16 millimeter. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know in terms of like rights and, and stuff. Um, yeah. I don't know. And I think the physical material is just kind of like scattered. Um, yeah. But, um, well, that's cool. I had no idea you were, you were harboring the death by hanging. You should, yeah, that, I would love to see that. <laughs> yeah. And Juku Thief, I don't, I don't remember that screening since like the last, whatever, Oshima semi retro or anything. That's great. Yeah, it was funny because I was like, oh, I, I've always been trying to think of something I could show at Light Industry because uh, I've uh, never like uh-huh. done anything there, and I was like, this could be a fun thing to just like show. And then it did pop up somewhere. Oh yeah. On like thirty five, I want to say, and then I was like, oh, never mind. Um, <laughs> Anyway, I, I, sorry, I, I sidetracked you. You were you were talking about. Um, yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I mean, if people aren't familiar with this this uh, film, which you know, I think it's had kind of an interesting journey. Which I I could, I don't know, I don't want to put the cart before the horse or whatever. But it's a film by Sarah Maldoror, uh, who is uh, born in uh, Guadeloupe, but was very involved in the uh, anti-colonial resistance in Angola. Uh, her husband, Mario de Andrade. Yeah, so he was like the leader of the MPLA, Popular Movement for the Liberation of Angola. She also worked for like uh, Gio Pontecorvo. Uh, I think she was an assistant director on Battle of Algiers. So, and this is very much like in that, Sambi Zanga is very much in that mold of like uh, just a piece of like neorealist inspired agitprop Basically, it's about a woman uh, whose husband has been imprisoned, you know, by the Portuguese occupiers. And she's basically like trying to find him and like get him back. Yeah, it's like a very incendiary and gut wrenching kind of film. And, you know, also it's historically significant because I think it's the first film made by a woman in sub-Saharan Africa. Um, And... um, Sarah Maldrower was also, I mean, obviously, as um, the, uh, you know, spouse is one of the leaders of this resistance movement <clears throat> is, you know, like, ve- she was like, very active within that movement as well. So it is like a, a, a I think it's, you know, I feel like, you know, the word like militant agitprop cinema gets like thrown around a lot. And this is definitely like very, yeah. um, very much applies here. In fact, like if you if you you know like Google her, like look for images. Um, there's one of her like on a boat with like a giant machine gun, like covered in bullets. <laughs> I actually met her in like 2013, really? and and I feel like this is kind of where the journey of the the current resurgence began. Is uh, I think it was Pablo de Ocampo was programming the Flaherty seminar, uh-huh. and I feel like it's such a classic Flaherty story, like where. You know, I think um, like Symbiopsychotaxiplasm is another great example of a film that sort of ended up having this like new trajectory after showing at the Flaherty after being neglected for so long. Mm. But, um, you know, I think Sam Buzanga, like I had never heard of it. I don't think anyone else at the Flaherty was, you know, very familiar with her or her work. This is like for people who aren't familiar, the Flaherty Seminar is kind of like a it's like a non-fiction film cult that meets uh <laughs> every year and it's named after robert flaherty and was hosted at his 
barn in the <laughs> 1950s and <laughs> up until COVID it happened every year since then. Anyway, yeah. So, and, and the other thing is, like, I I was like the bartender at the Flaherty, which is oh, okay. <laughs> again in 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 cult Flaherty lore is kind of like a almost like an honorary position because like people you know legendarily you know like hit the bar very hard there because like they <laughs> are watching these films all day. It's sort of like it, it inspired Telluride, where it was like. You go to the Flaherty, all the artists are there, mm-hmm. but you don't know who they are up front. You don't know what's going to screen. And then it's just like really intense screenings and discussions all day. And so, you know, people like really rage and, you know, there's all kinds of <laughs> what happens at the Flaherty stays at the Flaherty <laughs> kind of stuff. The, the, I mean, the idea of a movie that kind of, uh, you know, gets redis- rediscovered there is, yeah, that's, that's really, I think, true. I, I, this is maybe not the best example, but I think like Chick Strand, yeah. You know, I'm, I mean, again, not the best example, but certainly for I know a lot of attendees uh, when Arena Linebacker showed it there, showed a program for films. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think that a lot of people had seen them. And so for many people, including myself, that was yeah. sort of a revelation. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. And I think, um, yeah, I think like Symbiopsychotaxiplasm is a great example. And then there are also like examples of like, you know, younger or like earlier career filmmakers who sort of skyrocket after that. Even, I don't know, I think it was a different year than Sarah Maldror, but around the same time, um, oh, what's his name? Now he's like an art star. Uh, oh, Arthur uh, Jaffa. Oh, yeah. Who did, um, you know, probably at the time, he one would say he was best known for like shooting uh, Daughters of the Dust and... Mm-hmm. I think he shot like a Spike Lee. Yeah, I want to say maybe a couple Crooklyn. movies. Yeah, and you know after the Flaherty, and again it's like you know it's I I don't I'm not trying to suggest that like you know the Flaherty is 100 you know related, but like it did happen like right before he kind of skyrocketed mm-hmm. uh, into this like art stardom kind of I don't know sphere, but. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, like Sarah was cool because she um, she didn't speak English, but like she and I established and like I don't speak. Uh, I think she was primarily speaking French. I don't speak French, uh, but we like established a rapport over the bar mm-hmm. because um, like typically I didn't keep whiskey at the bar. You know, it was like beer and wine and stuff, but I had this like secret stash of whiskey uh, for her and she would just kind of like sheepishly like walk over and kind of like you know make like give me some kind of look and then we would like sneak (laughs) off and like drink whiskey together and just like sit quietly by the by the pond and you know that's that's a lovely yeah you know it's like it was a nice non-verbal uh but like a very you know very peaceful Mm -hmm. um definitely very i would say like mischievous uh (laughs) kind of presence yeah but you know so like after that like you know light industry screened it uh we did a screening on a rooftop that was really well attended mm-hmm. um and then i think like bam showed it and film for it. and then all of a sudden it was just like showing all the time but it was just like this one super faded just really like you know like scary kind of print where you're like is this is this gonna survive like right. another pass so, and then also I should mention uh, Another Gaze, which is based 
in London did a really incredible yes. seminar around her work and like showed a lot more of her work, uh, which has been difficult to see and had um, really incredible panel discussions uh, with Sarah Meldor's daughter. Uh, Sarah Meldor um, unfortunately passed away. You know, all of which this is to say, like there's, I think it started at the Flaherty. Although again, I, I'm not trying to like simplify this narrative or anything, but you know, there's been like an incredible thrust behind this film and her work and um, yeah, appreciating it. And it's been something that's been, you know, happening around the world. And so I think it's really special that, you know, finally there's this uh, new restoration where hopefully it can be seen much more widely in much better quality and this like poor, poor print can finally rest. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it's some, also like, yeah, somewhere under a tree somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. It's also like, you know, I've always been like, hardcore about like film on film 35 millimeter you know but you know i think i don't know if i've softened somewhat and or just you know part of it's just the reality of just the the march of i don't know capitalism or like you know there aren't as many film labs this is becoming increasingly difficult and expensive i've just i've become less radical and militant in my belief that everything needs to have like a new like film to film restoration and show on 35 millimeter, you know, obviously yeah. that's ideal, but like at the end of the day, I, I do think it's, it's really wonderful when, you know, like at the end of the day, like a DCP of this, you know, like a serious like restoration effort is going to be so much better than this completely fucking like zombie <laughs> 35 millimeter print yeah. or sorry, 16 millimeter print. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's obviously like a whole other discussion. Um, yeah. Well, which isn't to say that every time someone does like a quote unquote restoration that it's good, like sometimes it's terrible, but um, right. Yeah. That's another whole yeah. thing. But in this case, yeah, it, it, it means that, uh, that the movie will live on and be seen yeah. by more people. Yeah. Then it's going to be on the Criterion collection. Then everyone's going to say it's basic. <laughs> And, It'll go through the whole know. life cycle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. No, that'll be cool to see. Like once it hits the point, I mean, that's kind of where I feel like possession is at now. I mean, we could feel like possession is now all of a sudden become a a like basic <laughs> film or something, uh, which is oh, man. Uh, very amusing to yeah. me. And and I'm not I'm not like disagreeing with that assessment at this point. But yeah. that's an interesting case where like they. Like my good friend Brian Block uh, had some. It's called like Bleeding Light Film Group. Uh, it's just him, but he he had like gone through a really painstaking process of negotiating for the rights for it and making like a beautiful new print that showed around a lot in like 2011. Like it had a run at Film Forum, and then I think on the West Coast as well. And then there was like a bi-coastal. Trulowski retrospective and then that same print has shown every single year at anthology and their anti valentine I forget what it's called like um Valentine's Day Massacre I think oh yeah yeah and then now all of a sudden it's like new 4k restoration and everyone's like finally thank god possession is back it's like it literally didn't go anywhere <laughs> and there was like beautiful print of it yeah. like what yeah but, yeah, that's strange. I mean, it's like, I mean, in a way, yeah, I don't want to 
chalk it up to marketing, but it's sometimes it's like it's just like the survival techniques of like how do we draw attention to something right. I mean, it's like branding. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. And also, I mean, not that, I mean, you know, I think I'm not trying to like, you know, shame Metrograph about, but like, you know, because obviously like Film Forum is like, I feel like every six months it's like new, new restoration of, of Breathless. It's like now that things are digital, they keep inventing new numbers where it's like 2K restoration, 4K restoration, like, <laughs> And, uh, you know, again, like I, I, you know, I, I'm not trying to like dump on, on film forum or like, you know, but, you know, and I think, yeah. I, I mean, it's also interesting to think with like Arabato and like a few people did make, they compared it to possession in the sense, not that they're similar movies, but like, it's, it's, a, it's a similar sense of like discovery and like a new favorite movie you'd never heard of kind of mm-hmm. thing. And it's like, you know, I, I don't think it's had quite the same hype because, I think the reason that people are hyped on possession is because so many people knew about it, but it's still in that zone where it feels like a secret, you know, or like um, the special movie that like speaks directly to you that only you know about kind of thing. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm curious if that trajectory will, will eventually happen with Arabato, which, you know, it's like, and, and, and I would be, you know, obviously very happy. Cause like, I, I just love the, the film. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah. I mean, I, and I love possession too. I'm not trying to like <laughs> right. make fun of the film by calling it basic. I mean, maybe a little bit, but like, that's <laughs> not on the, yeah. the film itself. That's yeah. like extra. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I too would like if, you know, Ar- Arabato, uh, got got the got the possession treatment for me it's like a weird it's like exactly 10 years ago i wrote about possession when it had a film forum run then and yeah and and i i noticed that when i was like flipping through the art art forum archives to find something and it was like oh oh wait that's happening now and and so like they were you know someone asked me are you going to be writing about it and i'm like i i did do i is you know, do I need 10 years late? I, I was like, what is, cha- yeah. have I changed enough? Has the movie changed? I don't know. I know. I know. I, it's kind of same for screen slate. I mean, I actually feel like this happens somewhat regularly with screen slate where like, we'll feature something, you know, at, at like an arbitrary screening or something. And then it'll be like restored. And it's like, people are like, why isn't screen slate covering this? And it's like, cause we already right. did, but like possession is one of my quintessential, like, back of the pocket you know because like i try to run new text every day but obviously i'm you know there's like days where either we have a gap in the calendar or something you know isn't turned in or whatever and so you know possession i've probably rerun our ancient write-up of it like 10 times (laughs) by now you know just just like the print (laughs) i know yeah yeah totally yeah but it's like the kind of thing like, oh, how, how dare ScreenSlate ignore this uh, major revival, <laughs> you know, yeah. not that no one this here. I'm purely inventing slash projecting that like no one has said that to me. Yeah, but it, it's funny. It's some reason, the other thing that came to mind when you're talking about like restorations and all the iterations there are there, it's like you know like with like remastering beatles albums or you know it's like that essentially yeah, yeah. what's happening to, to to restoration advertising at least because i don't want to pin it on the people who work hard to you know to, to to restore these movies but just the way it's presented it's like yeah yeah totally and it's also like it, it it's a weird position because as a uh crusader for truth uh <laughs> I, <laughs> I um 
speak. <laughs> you know, it's like I want to call it out, but on the other hand, as a crusader for like, I hope cinemas make money and continue right. to exist. I'm exactly. like, you know what? If a bunch of like, you know, downtown media people, you know, support cinemas because they didn't realize they could have gone to anthology to see a superior iteration of this film forever like fine yeah. <laughs> you know like whatever well i think we might be able to bring things in for for a landing thank you for yeah coming on and, and chatting i'm glad that we have uh, a good record of the screen slate um screen series too and an audio record in addition to <laughs> yeah the, yeah the write-ups. Totally. And, and i really do um hope that people come out to those screenings you mentioned that a couple more will be coming up yeah so yeah I'll, I'll let you go off and see presumably more movies <laughs> <laughs> or more answer answer more emails maybe try to take a walk uh <laughs> take a walk and think about movies yeah. well okay. yeah thank you so much right. nick yeah it's always a pleasure you've been listening to the last thing i saw with your host nicholas Rapold. If you like what you heard, please consider signing up at repold.substack.com. Special thanks to the Minarets for the opening music from their song, Montserrat. Thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs>